Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe, one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming this morning. And we're not using the stage today because of the musical that's um, this afternoon. So please um, come to that if you can, either this afternoon or um, tomorrow at 10 or tomorrow evening. Uh, the kids have worked really, really hard um, to uh, prepare a great musical for you all. Um, and just a reminder, be praying and thinking about people that you can invite both to the Good Friday service and to Easter uh, this Sunday. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Mark 14. And let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you love to speak to us. Jesus, you are amazing. You are unlike any other human in all the world. And I pray we would see that today and we would experience your love and we would really believe that you are for us, both as a church and as individuals. We love you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this is the second to last message on the book of Mark. We've been going through the book of Mark um, since January, and the plan was to end on Easter, which is next Sunday. So we are right on track, and this morning we're going to look at the uh, part of the tail end of Mark 14 and then Mark 15. And the title of this message is The King of the Universe Accused and condemned. The king of the universe accused and condemned. I want you to picture that title as like a news feed that you would see on your phone or you'd see on the news or on the internet. The king of the universe accused and condemned. See, we live in a, a, an age where scandals are in the news all the time. If you Google the biggest scandals of 2018, which I did this week, you get a nice lengthy list of people's sins and crimes um, that they have committed and they're reaping the consequences. If you Google the biggest scandals of this, this current century, you'll get an even longer list. If you, if you Google the biggest scandals of the, the previous century, you'll get a nice big long list. And in our day and age, the news cycle, depending on the scandal, may Last 24 hours, it may last a total of 72 hours, and then we're on to something else. Well, there has never been a scandal bigger than this one that we're going to look at today, which is the king of the universe, who really is the maker of heaven and earth, the one who created all things. So there's no one who had a higher profile no one who had greater accomplishments, no one who had more notoriety in his circles because of the actions that he's done than Jesus Christ himself. And he was accused, as we're going to see, and he was condemned, as we're going to see. But unlike all the scandals that we usually read about or hear about in the news, he actually was innocent. He did no wrong at all. And so the scandal of his scandal is that he accepted false charges, a mock trial, complete sham, all because he loves us. So I want you to look in your Bibles or on your phones at Mark chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 53. This is a Thursday night. It's probably somewhere between midnight and 3 a.m., scholars think. 
It's late at night, going into Friday early morning. And this is the first trial that, that Jesus will be a part of. So this is Mark 14, starting at verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard yard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do you need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And then they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him and say to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So this is the first trial. This was with what is known as the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish leaders of the day. And this was not all of the Sanhedrin, but this was a large number of the Sanhedrin. But it was a sham. They already made up their mind before the trial began that the goal of the trial is to condemn Jesus. And not just to put him in jail, but to kill him. To crucify him. And here's the the thing of it. Jesus, as we've been learning, was not only perfect, innocent of all wrongdoing, but he was none other than God himself. And so these men, who were to be the, the upstanding men of the Old Testament, had been corrupted, and they couldn't see, they didn't believe who Jesus truly was. They didn't believe he was the promised deliverer. And so they go through this mockery of a trial. We know it's a mockery because there was false witnesses. So if I set you up in a a courtroom and I said, you are charged with these crimes. I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go buy some false witnesses while you're sitting there. And I'm going to have them make up some stuff so we can condemn you. Because I already knew what I wanted the verdict to be, which was guilt. But the problem was their false witnesses did not agree with each other. They'd say one thing and contradict it with another. And it was a complete mockery of a, tra- of a trial. The high priest himself, he's, he's ripping his clothes. He's, he's acting like he is personally offended because he does not believe Jesus is who he says he is. And not only that, we've got to remember who is in the courtroom. This is Jesus this is the one who is in control of 
all things. This is the one who gave life and breath to you and I. Look down at verse 64 or 65. This is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the one who he just said is going to return on the clouds one day, which means he's returning as judge of the world, as the king of kings. Listen to what they did to him. The one that all of us, whether you believe in him right now or not, we're all going to bow down before him. I hear that little thunder sound in the background as well. I'm sure somebody's working on that, hopefully. Um, And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him. So this is the king of kings. And his treatment is, I guess that's rain, is spitting on him. My hearing's not that great, apparently. Um, His treatment is spitting, is mocking, is slapping him over and over again, telling him, prophesy. If you're the king, if you know everything, prophesy. There's not even an illustration to describe what this would be like. This would be like a soldier entering basic training with the highest officer in the land showing up and him spitting on that officer and slapping that officer in the face. And even that would be a a comparison that doesn't even work. The scale would be so much greater. And see, you and I, in our unbelief, in our sin, before we trusted in Christ, we would be no different than these people. We would be mocking. We would be spitting. We would be forsaking Jesus. And here's the part I want you to get. He endured this For you and I, he endured being spit on and beaten and slapped and mocked because he loves you. Because he knows he had to go through it in order to make a way for you and I to have a personal relationship with God, as we're going to see in a bit. See, John, the the Gospel of John writes this about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made That was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, when we remember the big title of this series is Who is this man? This man is the creator of the universe. This man is the suffering servant. He's both. Everything that is made was made through Jesus Christ. And because he's the maker of heaven and earth, if he wanted the mocking to stop, if he wanted the spitting to stop, he could have stopped it in an instant. Won't you see how powerful the self-control of Jesus was? I'm sure there's a number of us that if somebody walked up to you right now and spit on your face, even though you know it's wrong, you would give them the beating of their life, potentially. (laughs) Or you'd want to, right? It'd be in there. See, Jesus has full self-control, full control of the entire situation. This is what Matthew says about Jesus. Or this is what Jesus says, quoted in Matthew chapter 26. Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? A legion represented about 6,000 Roman soldiers, so that's... 72,000 angels that he could call on in an instant? 
But then how shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? It must be so. So with every slap, every punch, every spit, Jesus could have called in the army and just said, destroy them, finish it. But he knew he had to go through it. He endures false accusation and mockery for us. Now we're going to skip to Mark 15. We're going to skip the Peter part because we talked about that last week. Mark 15, 1. We're going to see Jesus accepted his undeserved, unjust sentence for us. And all the, the trials and accusations, one of the things I want you to notice is Jesus does not defend himself. He does not try to get out of it in any way. Look at verse 1 of Mark 15. And as soon as it was morning, so the sun comes up, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. So this would have been about 70 members. They all showed up. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So Pilate is representing Rome. He's the, the Roman authority. The Jewish people knew, the Jewish leaders knew, they could not sentence someone to death. Only Rome could sentence someone to death. They could handle a lot of judicial-type things, but they could not give the death sentence. So they wanted to give an appearance that this was a fair trial. So they go to Pilate, verse 2. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they are bringing against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. So you have a council of 70 men. Then you have the Roman government led by Pilate. Jesus is before them. Now Pilate was a cruel man. He would have sentenced many to death during his time of service. But the shocker for him, he probably never met a man who was not begging for mercy. See, it said he's a, Pilate was amazed. The reason he was amazed is because Jesus wasn't trying to squirm out of it. He wasn't trying to get out of the punishment that he knew would eventually end in death, in execution. Why would he do that? Who is this man? That's very different than how we would respond naturally. Please, please, please don't kill me. Just send me to prison for a long time. Don't crucify me. I don't want to die. Jesus was young. He was probably 30 years old, right around that window of time. So you have a young man who has done nothing wrong and is fully accepting of a punishment that he does not deserve. Who is this man that would do something like this? See, he's completely unique. He is fully God and fully man. Throughout his ministry, when religious leaders would try to trap him, he always had the answers to their questions and their traps. He always had a way out. But he knew in this situation, the only way he could die for us, the only way he could buy a bride for his father was to go through torture, pain, humiliation, 
Now I know it's rain. Here it comes. <laughs> Look at, at, at Isaiah 53. See, Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament scriptures at every step of this trial. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He did not defend himself because his mission was to come and die on a cross for you and I. His mission was to rescue you and I. So he took it all upon himself. This massive injustice that we're going to see in a moment, he did it for you and I. See, it's very different than we are naturally. All of us, because God made us, we have a sense of justice or injustice. It can show up in the smallest ways. If you had a special dessert in your fridge that was yours and your roommate or your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband came in and took it from you. Just something a little like that. There's a sense of, hey, that's not right. That was mine. I told you that was mine. And you gobbled it up. See, we're, we're ready to go to war in our household for a piece of pie. Jesus is about to have his life swapped with a murderer. And he doesn't defend himself at all. Look at verse 6. See, Pilate had a tradition. And here it is. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, there was one who committed murder in the insurrection. So there was an insurrection, and there was men who had been caught and convicted of murder. One man, his name was Barabbas. So we have here a man who has blood on his hands. He's a convicted murderer, deserving of Roman crucifixion. And look what happens next. Verse 8. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So even Pilate knew this was sort of a sham. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So the Jewish leaders, they show their cards again. They're trying to incite a crowd to let a murderer go free so an innocent man who has just healed people, loved people, cared for people, given people their lives back, they wanted him dead. Verse 12, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? Now the crowd's starting to get incited by the religious leaders. And they cried out, Crucify him! Here's what you should do, Pilate. Kill him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted more, Crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. So Pilate caves to the crowd, to the popular opinion of the people. For no Real reasons, no concrete reasons other than the mob had been incited. He releases Barabbas, a murderer, and sentences an innocent man to crucifixion. 
And look at this next four words. Before he sends him to his death, having scourged Jesus. We can miss that, but what that scourging, a Roman scourging, was basically a leather strap with metal and bone tied into the end of it. And they would just beat the daylights out of the criminals. And a number of people would actually die by the scourging before they would even make it to crucifixion. So this is the maker of heaven and earth being beaten and whipped and his flesh is being torn apart. And he is he's enduring unimaginable physical pain. I want you to get this for you and I. For the love of the people that would one day trust in him. That's why he's doing it. He's going through it all for us. Not because he had to, because he wanted to. So Barabbas goes free. And Jesus' punishment begins. And isn't that a picture of our salvation? We go free if we trust in Jesus. And he's punished. We're the Barabbas in the story. We go free. Guilt on our hands. Guilt in our mind. Guilt in our hearts. And Jesus takes the punishment for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we love to sing. That's why we love to raise our hands and sing. That's why we get excited about celebrating communion. Because we know he did this for us. So his sides are ripped open. He's starting to bleed probably quite a bit. And the torture begins. Look at verse 16. These are Roman soldiers. These are very hardened men. Verse 16, the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarter. And they call in a battalion. From what I understand, a battalion would have been about 500 men. So they bring in the other soldiers. So now we got an audience. we got 500 men to watch us make fun of Jesus. Verse 17, first thing they do, and they clothe them with a purple cloak, a king's robe, but it's all a mockery. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. So they give him a king's robe and they give him a king's crown and it has big thorns and they shove it into his head. Once again, completely humiliating him and inflicting pain at the same time. Verse 18. And you can imagine the cheers and the laughter of the 500 men. Verse 18, they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! Spitting, mocking. All the while, he could have called in an army at any moment and decimated all of them. Verse 19, And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. This is a wild scene. And one by one, we don't know how many of the 500, but it's safe to say many of them participated. And like any mob mentality, the more the crowd got stirred, probably the more the mockery continued and grew. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus is allowing all this to happen. All the mockery all the spitting, 
all the hatred, all the vile stuff that's, that's coming out. Why would he do that? Well, he would do it because he, he came to save mockers. He came to save sinners like you and I. And some of us in this room were mockers. Some of you in this room may still be mockers. I can remember being an IUP student as a non-Christian and taking a Bible class at IUP for a religious studies requirement. And I remember reading the Bible under the influence of, a, of some substances. I'm reading the Bible and I stand up on a chair in my friend's apartment. I just start mocking preachers and TV evangelists. And he's laughing and I'm, the more he laughs, the more I'm getting into it. I didn't believe a word of this book. Four months later, I believed every word in this book. Jesus came to save mockers. There's no one he can't save. But the only way he could do it was by enduring what we're reading about this morning. He did it because out of his great love for you and I. There's might be some of you this morning in this room or watching that you still think it's all a big joke. He's not real. He can't do anything for you. That is not true. And you need to bow before him. You need to call out to him. You need to turn to Jesus. And the moment you do, he will save you. He will rescue you. He will give you a new life. He will change you from the inside out. That is who he is. They led him to be crucified. Look at verse 21. He's now on the cross. Crucifixion was such a bloody, torturous thing that Roman citizens weren't even allowed to be crucified. So you could be a Roman citizen and really, really, really sin and commit crimes. And you had to be the worst of the worst to be able to be crucified. And here we have an innocent man being crucified. Verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour, so 9 a.m., when they crucified him. So they nailed him to a cross. Stakes, spikes through his arms and through his feet. Remember, he'd already been scourged. He'd already been beaten. So he's in intense physical pain. And now he's put on display for all to see. And he's crucified between two criminals who most likely were murderers. One to his right and one to his left. Verse 25, and it was the third hour and they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. The irony was, he was the king of the Jews. He was the king of all mankind. Verse 27, and when they crucified him, two robbers, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. They felt pretty safe and secure in their mockery. 
He's nailed to a cross. He's completely unable, so they think, to do anything about their mockery. That's not the case. He once again is is showing incredible, incredible restraint. Verse 31, because verse 30 says, Save yourself, come down from that cross. See, Jesus at any moment could have saved himself and he could have come down from the cross. But he didn't. Out of love for those in front of him, out of love for those he would rescue in the centuries to come. Verse 31, So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. This is the leaders. The leaders who had the Old Testament. They had Isaiah 53. They had the description of the suffering servant. And they couldn't see it. And there he was dying right before their very eyes. And then also says the end of 32, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. The two criminals also were were insulting and, and giving their own charges. But we know from another gospel account that one of the two came to faith as he was being crucified. And he went with Jesus to paradise the very day that he was crucified. So this man came to saving faith, suspended in air, crucified beside Jesus Christ himself. These men were guilty men. These men had done all kinds of vile things. And that man was the first one to be with Jesus because he put his trust in Jesus Christ. It should give hope to you that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, if you come to Christ, he will forgive and save you. See, Paul gives a lot of the theological explanation and the what was happening behind the scenes in the book of Romans. He says this in Romans 5, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Messiah, Jesus, died for the ungodly. Christianity is not a clean-yourself-up religion and then God will love you. It's a, you are ungodly. You have sinned against the maker of heaven and earth. You come on his terms, which is faith alone in Christ alone, and then he cleans you up. He forgives you. He frees you. He comes and sets his spirit inside of you and makes you brand new. Jesus is still hanging on the cross. It's now the sixth hour, which is high noon, 12 o'clock. Verse 33, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from 12 o'clock to 3 p.m., it looked like midnight. And though many have tried to explain this away, it was a miraculous darkness that came over the land. And why it came over the land is because of what was happening between 12 o'clock and 3 p.m. Look at verse 34. And in the ninth hour, to around 3 p.m., Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. What Jesus is doing here, he's quoting Psalm 22. And this was the darkest moment of Jesus' life. This was much darker than the mockery, than the spitting, than the slapping, than the punching, than the scourging, than even the spikes themselves being pierced into Jesus' hands. This was the moment where God the Father turned away from Jesus and his wrath was poured out for the sins of humanity. This was the moment where fellowship was broken because our sins were credited to Jesus and God the Father had to pour out his hatred and fury upon his one and only innocent, perfect son. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus knew he had to go through all of it so that you and I could become his sons and daughters one day. Once again in Romans, Paul gives the theological explanation. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every human being. We all miss the standard and are justified by his grace, meaning declared righteous by his grace, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a financial word. Jesus bought us with his blood, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, that's not a word we're familiar with. When Jesus hung on the cross, he propitiated our sin. He he satisfied the wrath of God. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we could go free. So that's the idea behind propitiation. Another big word's in that word, which means expiation, which means God satisfied the wrath of God and he removed the wrath of God. So when Jesus is being tortured for us, he's satisfying God's holy hatred for our sin and he's removing it if we trust in him. So what that means is if you are a Christian, you cannot be punished for your sin, In the ultimate sense, Christ absorbed it all and removed it from you. You will never be punished in hell for your sins if you are in Christ because Jesus took it for you. That is the good news. That's why Jesus is enduring all of this for us. Look at verse 38. Jesus opened the way to God once for all to all who trust in him. Verse 38, something amazing happened. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when Jesus died, when the wrath was poured out, the curtain of the temple, which separated the people from the holiest of holies, it was torn from heaven, from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. The access to God, once for all, was made open. Meaning you no longer had to keep the Jewish Laws, you came through one way, which was faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. See, Jesus knew this. He knew this before he's going to be crucified. He said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God except through me. You could also say, Everyone comes in through Jesus. Anyone that comes in is coming in one way, 
It's through Jesus Christ. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He opened the way wide, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people, every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnicity, who calls on Jesus Christ can come into God's presence, come into the holiest of holies, all because of what Jesus had done. Do not believe the lie that the sins you've committed have separated you from God if you put your faith in Christ. There's nothing you've done, no matter how dark and disturbing, that Jesus did not suffer, bleed, and die for. And you need to trust in him. Quit looking inside for peace. Look out to Jesus. Believe what he has done for you. And here's the good news. Jesus rescues all who come to him. The end of this passage, the last section we're going to look at, a very unlikely man comes to faith. Look at verse 43. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council. So this, he was part of the 70, part of the Sanhedrin. Who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking it to him, wrapped him up in linen shroud and laid it in a tomb that had been cut off of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Often we think about, and we saw this in the book of Mark, that we think of the worst of the worst get rescued, the, the, the isolated, the, the, the criminals, the murderers. And that is true if they come to faith in Christ. But the other side of the spectrum is also true. Joseph, a respected member of the council, what it seems like, both him and Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who also, in another gospel account, buys, purchases 100 pounds of herbs to prepare Jesus' body for the grave. They both seem to have come to faith in Jesus. And so, whatever end of the, let's say, religious social spectrum you're in, you are not out of reach. If you come on God's terms, which is faith alone in Christ alone, not trusting in your religious pedigree, which Joseph or Nicodemus or the Apostle Paul himself would have been tempted to do. Or, on the other end, thinking your sins disqualify you from God's love. Neither are true. So even in this last section, we've got Joseph of Arimathea, and then in verse 47, we have Mary Magdalene, who, from what it seems, had committed many sins. And, and the Lord washed and cleansed her and forgave her. Let's have the band come up as we, as we wrap up. If you've trusted in Jesus, which I know this room is filled with people that have, here's what I want you to get. You are safe and secure in God's love for you. He loves you so dearly. And he wants you to know that all that we just read 
is primarily how you know he loves you so dearly. God the Father sent his son Jesus to do all the things that we just walked through because he loves you. And if you get your mind around this, we should be able to say what Paul says in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen to this phrase and see if you believe this for yourself. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loves you and he gave himself for you. That is true if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. He loves you dearly. So as we sing this final song, I want you to think about who is this man, the king of the universe, accused, condemned, and died in our place. He's the one who loves you and gave himself for you. Let's pray and stand. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you came for us. Thank you for all that you endured. We will never get our minds around this. But Lord, may the effect be there be no one in this room or watching this who would doubt your incredible love for them. Give each of us hope this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.